Welcome to Podability, the podcast for parents and families of disabled children, brought to you by Variety, the children's charity. I'm your host, Dave King. While it's reassuring that the COVID-19 virus rarely makes children physically ill, we cannot underestimate the emotional and psychological impact on children of the school closures, of suddenly losing social interaction with friends or being separated from extended family, perhaps of having distracted, anxious or even traumatised parents. Children with special educational needs and disabilities, or SEND as they're more commonly known, may also face extra pressures brought about by the sudden lack of care support and disrupted routines. Those with learning and sensory difficulties might struggle to make sense of what's happening, or to express how upset or confused they feel, or to manage anxious or intrusive thoughts. In today's podcast episode, we're exploring what impact the coronavirus crisis is having on the mental health and emotional well-being of children with disabilities. And we're looking at how parents can best look after their children's psychological health at home during the current lockdown and respond to the crisis in a way that builds their children's emotional resilience. Joining me remotely today over Skype to discuss these questions is Tamsin Cottis, an acclaimed senior child psychotherapist who is a pioneer in the area of psychotherapy for children who have learning disabilities, a subject she has written widely about. Also joining me is Rosalind Granger, mother of Ayrshire, who's 13 and has a learning disability. Ros is also herself a psychotherapist. Hello and welcome to you both. Hello. Hi. Roz, can you describe what the lockdown's been like for you as a parent and carer of Isha and what you've noticed about the impact that it's had on her emotional state? So Esha's 13 and she has a learning disability caused by a rare genetic syndrome called Kleefstra syndrome. And children with that syndrome tend to have varying degrees of learning disability. And um, in her particular case, I would say that she doesn't understand what COVID-19 is or anything like that but she does understand that her normal routine has been disrupted and the main thing about that normal routine that she's really having a problem dealing with is she can't see her friends and if she does see her friends she can only see her friends from a distance and she can't hug them she's a very tactile person she loves hugging her friends kissing her friends holding her friends hands and all of those things we can't do So if we uh, have a phone chat on Skype or something like that, then she gets very upset and she doesn't even want to sit down next to me and look at them because it just brings home all the grief of not being able to cuddle them like she normally would. My heart goes out to you on that. That sounds like a really complicated um, situation, just all of a sudden to be thrown into without any preparation. Tamazin, any thoughts on how Roz can help and support Ayrshire? Uh, Well, I think that the most important thing to be able to do is to reflect the feelings back, to be empathetic, to recognize. I mean, it sounds as though you do that already, Ros, you really do. You've really understood what's hard for her and understood the bits of it that are especially hard. But I think one of the things that's very tempting as a parent of any child with or without disabilities is to want to make things okay, And so to sort of say, oh, don't feel sad. Think of the nice things or we're going to go out and do this thing or look look, we can have this fun together. And of course, that's true. But I think it's much more helpful for any of us, actually, but particularly children who maybe have a feeling but find it difficult to put into words to know that you get how they're feeling. So that if you say, I know it's really, really sad that you can't see your friends, if only you could, and you could give them a hug, 
I really mm. get that. So you talk about that and you use everything in your voice to let her know that you do get how she's feeling. Because even if a child can't actually necessarily understand every single word, the feeling in the words will get through. And it's the feeling that matters when it comes to being empathetic. So I think it's the same if a child is getting angry and they're really frustrated. It's so annoying that you can't go and see grandma. If only you could that is annoying so that in your voice you put what the feeling is and then the child knows you understand how they feel yeah that's really helpful it's sometimes it's quite because it's quite can get quite frustrating mm. when you have the same conversations over and over and mm. over again mm. because she will ask me can we see um, a particular friend can mm. we go to his house and stand at the bottom of the mm. garden path? And then when we go in, and she'll maybe ask me that 30 times a day, mm. and we get to the bottom of the garden path and she doesn't want, she's too overwhelmed yeah. emotionally to be able to cope with the fact that he's at the other end of the garden. And mm. it, it, her friend is actually nonverbal, but he's very communicative. Right. And he seems to be coping with it a little better than she is in mm -hmm. some ways. Mm -hmm. So he's going into the house and bringing out his latest drawing or the book that he's re he's trying to read, or the toy that he likes playing with, and in the meantime, she's the listeners can't see me, but but I'm hiding my face in my hands. That's what she does. It's almost like it's too much, and and then as soon as we've gone home again, she wants to do it all over again. So it's quite difficult for her to come to terms with what's going on so she gets very overwhelmed by mm. the experience of seeing mm. him and I think the grief of not being able to mm. see him as she normally would mm. slams home and stops her enjoying the moment yeah and she, it takes her completely out of the moment and mm. makes her feel so overwhelmed with grief that she just an upset and frustration that that's kind of her version of what what sometimes people call a meltdown she doesn't right. lie on the floor kicking and screaming but she kind of shuts down and she hides mm. her face in her arm and it's as if to say her whole body is communicating that she's not happy mm. and then we sort of comfort her and just like you suggest just say I know it's really mm. hard but mm. it's very hard to explain to someone who just doesn't understand yeah. yes. the world without reference to their usual routines yes she yes. really needs her routines to help her make sense of the world yes um yes I can understand how frustrating that must be for you and for her and distressing as well although it might be very overwhelming in the moment if you can be there to comfort her at that time, then at least she is getting the experience of seeing her friend and knowing at some level that he is still there and it isn't mm. all gone. Because I think, you know, this it might be very hard for her to, because she can't understand, to actually really know that he is still in the world and she goes and sees him and it's, it's a very overwhelming experience, but she does at least know that. And I think that is really important because she can't carry the sense of him securely inside her as most of us can when we're separated from people that we don't see. We know they're still there, but that's that's harder for her. She does really mm. struggle with that. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because there's a real crossover 
with my work sort of trying to understand what makes adults tick and Mm -hmm. how adults deal with with understanding love from other people Mm -hmm. and being able to trust that other people love them it's really been helpful the work that I do with adults informs my work with Esha my work with Esha informs my work with adults so that's really good yeah, yeah. Because, you know it, we intellectually know but also we really emotionally know mm-hmm. that ca- hopefully that care is ongoing love is ongoing mm. and friends don't disappear but she doesn't really no. understand that she doesn't know and and the problem is as well that school has stopped mm. so she attends a special school and her special school has completely closed down whether you are a right. child of a key worker or 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 whatever the reason okay uh, and they don't have any kind of video connection it's we get a call from uh one of the teachers not her teacher but the teacher just speaks to me mm-hmm. so i'm asking them can you put anything on video for them and has that they need to see the teacher it's, i think that's a really good idea actually um that yes just a visual reminder that they're actually there in their environment i know at my daughter's school the teachers made a video of themselves dancing around the school and they all took a line of it and they did it and then they sent it out to all the families i thought that was a lovely idea so one of their days when they were in school and there weren't many she's a teacher not a not a pupil she's a teacher at the school um and uh, i thought what a lovely lovely idea they were just singing a familiar song and all around parts of the school so i mean i don't know if it's a lot to ask the school to do that but it is this constant remembering isn't it that the keeping you in mind is terribly important and for all of us we need to be kept in mind and held in mind and that's key to bearing a separation and it's incredibly helpful to know that we are so anything that the people she's not seeing can do to communicate to her that they are still in her world even if she can't understand what they say will be incredibly important yeah, I think that would be really good. I mean, I'm going to suggest that the next time I yeah. speak to the teacher, which will hopefully be tomorrow. But like, it's quite difficult because you don't, you know, that I know that they have so many other things that they need to get on with. Mm. Um, there are many safeguarding issues. There are quite mm. a number of looked after children at the school. There are a number of parents who live in, in not the best of circumstances. Yeah. And I think the school are having to do an awful lot of stuff they can't possibly have planned for. Mm. And I think the emotional well-being of the children probably probably doesn't figure as highly as some of the safeguarding aspects that they have Mm. to sort out first Mm. yeah and I'm sure that doing it will help with the transition when the children do go back because albeit that it may be that your daughter isn't experiencing some of the that we know children do there is still loss there is still loss and disruption and an element of trauma at the change and so I think if if schools are keeping their pupils emotional well-being in mind it's something to really think about Ros, it sounds like you've got a real understanding with Ayrshire and she's been disabled since birth and I use the word sort of disabled in a uh, in a sort of social context yeah. more than anything else there uh, but for families that haven't really experienced their children behaving in uh, these sort of ways you know we might say having a typical meltdown but are starting to experience Uh, these emotions with their children how can parents understand the feelings that their children have when they're not able to verbally communicate rather than just projecting their own onto their children that's quite interesting in your question what I immediately jumped to was it really helps to know yourself as a parent Mm. so before we start talking about what the children are going through it helps to understand your own response to what's happening because you can you can you know bet 
a million quid that that is the children are going to be responding to that so if you're feeling very anxious stressed what's going to happen to your job you're running out of money is someone going to get sick what about your elderly grandparents and you're running around doing yourself when you're anxious but saying to the kids it's fine it's fine it's fine then I think the children are going to be picking up on that that something is weird something's a bit weird going on probably more than any thoughts about school if you know what I mean so so it's like it helps to know yourself and what you're thinking what you're feeling and what's going on inside of your heads if you possibly can because I know from my own experience that Ayrshire definitely responds to that. We're not all brilliant at that, you know. We're not all the best at knowing what's going on inside of ourselves. And if you're a parent of a disabled child, even thinking that that's important, because we're kind of accustomed to thinking that it's the child who's got a separate problem or a separate issue that needs to be resolved as opposed to like any normal child any child at all responding to how the parents are doing at home you know our children are just like other children Mm. if mum and dad are stressed out and anxious they're going to be picking up on that if mum and dad are having a row or if mum's on her own and tearing her hair out they're going to respond to that and I think it's worth bearing in mind that they will be taking their lead from us as parents. So if we're not being nice to ourselves, if we're not allowing ourselves to understand our own feelings or get a clue about what our own feelings actually are, treat them with importance and respect, then they're going to be picking up on it. However they're, however they're able to express themselves, whatever it is they do. I don't think children will necessarily be having new responses but one one thing that's that um, a lot of children tend to do is they'll use the same phrases or ask the same questions in a kind of uh, a way that clues us into what the emotional response is, but they need the literal answer to it. So they might be asking, for example, from my own experience, when are we going to go out to the park can actually mean anything from when will I ever get to see my friends again? through to I think you need to get out of the house mum <laughs> or you need to get a break from dad <laughs> you know she quite often says when is daddy going for a run <laughs> yeah we've all we've all got those little uh, little comments in the family that we know yeah. what each other means yeah. Tamsin any any thoughts on that uh yeah I think it's a really really important point that uh how we are passes itself or feelings pass between people and uh that happens between parents and children hugely i do think it's important to be kind to yourself as a parent though because you know we've only got to get it right half the time winnicott says and we're doing well enough and we're being good enough but there's no question if that you will all know all parents will know that if you're stressed your child's likely to get stressed there's something about looking after as ros says keep looking after your own feelings that is your stuff to make yourself available for the child and recognising that they'll stay calmer uh, if you do that as far as you can. And the best way to do that, as I say, is not to beat yourself up and think you've got to be some extraordinarily brilliantly emotionally perfect person all the time but to know yourself well enough to know what you do need and what will help. And so when Esh is very helpful and says, 
when should we go into the park? And she actually means, mum, I think you need a bit of fresh air. It's like, yes, I do need a bit of fresh air. You're absolutely right. And I think at this time, I think that's important all the time for everybody. But I think when things are very stressful, it's even more important. The more support you can find for yourself, wherever it's from, little things, big things, other people, treats, um, moments of peace, just just get what you need to get through because that's all anybody's doing. Be kind to yourself, look after yourself, get help. And don't feel that you have to be perfect. One of the biggest myths about parents of children is that we're wonderful mm. you know we're not wonderful we're normal we are parents and parents sometimes get things wrong and it's good for children for you to get things wrong it's good for you to make mistakes it's good for you to show that you're not perfect but you can do the best job that you can and get things wrong sometimes have arguments sometimes get things horribly wrong sometimes and you can recover from that and bounce mm. back um, one of the one of the things that has been very helpful with this extended time period that we're having together as a family is sort of modelling that sometimes people fall out and they get over it. There's there's a a lot more time to discuss or to react and to deal fully with the consequences of that reaction in a way that you can't when you're you know like almost pushing pushing your child out of the house shoving yourselves up the road getting to school on time and then few dashing home on your bike as I do to get to get back home in time to see the first client there's time Mm. there's time to do stuff and one of those things is time to fall out actually I think it's been very Mm. valuable that might sound a bit weird but it's it's been quite helpful in our house yes I think it's very true I think that being able to feel all feelings and learn that they pass is an incredibly important developmental experience irrespective as I say of disability or not Uh, And the other thing that you raise is the idea of a rupture and repair for the child. Very often it's the putting it right that is as helpful as anything. The fact that you minded enough to try and put it right is enormously helpful relationally. Very different from it going wrong and just, you know, not going back to it and not apologising and not saying, oh, I think what what happened there was mummy was just feeling too stressed. And oh, dearie me, I'm going to make sure that trying to make sure that doesn't happen again. And I really shouldn't have shouted. But hey, you know, here we are again. Mm. So I think that really takes us into a, a question that I know we've had sort of parents that we support a variety sort of questioning mm. and trying to work through, which is really how honest should we be with our children about the current situation that's going on in the world? You know, we've got parents who are nervous to take their child a particular way to the shops because it will mm. lead them to think they're going to grandma's. Uh, they don't want to add to feelings of anxiety and distress and guilt by being too honest. Um, but actually what I'm hearing from, from you both is that the, the more honest we can be about our own feelings about what's going on, the better, mm. because we can work through that as a family. Can I, can I just say something there? I do think it's really worth remembering that the way a child hears something difficult is absolutely key to how stressed they become by it. So it's back to the thing that Ros was saying about looking after yourself and knowing yourself and if you just reflect on your own experience if there's something that happened once that was very upsetting and frightening how the adults were at that time when you were a child how the adults were at the time will really have impacted on its long-lasting effect on you so don't 
underestimate or devalue yourself in this if you can say oh dear you really thought we were going to grandma's and we're not Mm. and that's so hard and yes I can see that it's a bit scary it is scary these are scary times but we're doing everything we can to keep you safe we really really are but I get how scary it is that's very different from you saying oh my god we're at grandma's oh no and I did it wrong and it was all a mistake and then it's your your reaction that makes it more upsetting for the child and this this is shown over and over again in I, f- I find it a lot in my with the children that I work with um, it, it, it's the circumstances in which a difficult thing happened that it can affect how bad it is and for how long for the child emotionally you know I think sometimes people are scared of the child's reaction but what they're really saying is they're scared of their own reaction they're scared of themselves disappearing down a rabbit hole of panic and freak out and mm. losing it and the child is probably more likely, more able to deal with it than they are. Because children's lives can be quite dramatic. Mm. They're full, you know, children's television programs. You know, the average postman, Pat, let me tell you, there's an awful lot going on there. All sorts of transport disasters, things not going to happen. The party's going to be cancelled. Now, children deal with all that in their strides. If their key attachment figures are there and with them most of the time in a sort of emotional way, they're going to be able to take a lot in their strides. I agree completely, Ros. I absolutely agree. I mean, sometimes children have very strong feelings and they have them in their body, but they don't necessarily have a very sophisticated vocabulary for them. uh, And they don't necessarily know that what they're feeling in their body is the thing that's called anger or frustration or sadness or whatever it is. So um, obviously children work at different levels and older children and more reflective children can can be more sophisticated in their understanding. But I think that being very young or having a, a learning disability, it, it's still possible to get to know yourself and um, to encourage that kind of reflection by voicing the things that are happening and encouraging a child to think about what happened. I was just thinking, Ros, when you were talking about Aisha getting overwhelmed when she went to see her friend. Think about that afterwards when you got home and she was calm. Would you be able to say, oh, it happened again, didn't it? When you saw him, you were so excited. And then I noticed you got sort of a bit overwhelmed by it. What, what, tell me, you know, is there anything she would be able to say about that? Or is that not possible? No, I I think what happens is she goes into that frame of mind where Mm. she's having her reaction and then it's Mm. hard for her to remember what that was like. Okay. She's she's really a very experiential Mm. learner. Mm. Mm. Um, and you know it, it's she will get used to it she's getting used to mm. it and like mm-hmm. there's still the reaction um but she's one thing that she has picked up on i think is mm-hmm. this this message that's sort of going into her mind from all these different places about staying home and she just started okay. to say she doesn't want to leave the house okay and uh, so I, I think it's interesting how things filter through sometimes mm. it's almost like thinking about the things that happen in a dream and what they mean because certainly that message about staying home has gone in and is staying in mm. um, and should say, oh, uh, say, oh, are we, go- are we going outside? And then when we are outside, she'll say, are we going home again? Right. But 
you know, I'm not sure whether that means that she feels frightened about being outside or whether it's her way of saying, if we're not going to be out with my friends, then quite frankly, mum, you know, (laughs) if we're not seeing the friends or going to a charity shop, which is the other thing that she really likes to do, or or going to a cafe, which is number three, then quite frankly, mum, if it's Mm. just me and you, Mm. you know, that's pretty much down the list. (laughs) And I guess it's a little bit like you were saying before, that you will know her best. And sometimes yeah. a way of helping a child get to know themselves or get to recognise the things, you could say something like, oh, okay, so right, and you don't actually seem to want to be here. And I'm just thinking about that. I mean, maybe it's just really sad. We can't go to the charity shop. Uh, it would be so nice to go to a cafe. Um, and maybe safer at home as well. And But, you know, it's okay because we're allowed out for this time and we're taking it carefully. But it could be any of those things. And some of that might go in. I mean, I don't know her and I don't know. And I know you wouldn't be wanting to say too many things all at once. Um, I mean, the other thing that... That, uh, that I don't know if this would be right for Ayrshire, but that parents can can do is to at home through their play allow for the possibility of some of these things to get expressed. Perhaps through, for example, well, this is the world we've got at the moment. We can't go to where we want. What would you like the world to be look to be like? And then maybe get a tablecloth or a piece of newspaper and find objects to sort of make the world as you wish it was. And that might throw up things about what they're really missing. So what will we have in this world if we have it? And then maybe they could find something to represent the um the charity shop or the cafe or something like that and get out those feelings yeah so and um, that's a really good idea and mm. like also um photographs of favorite people absolutely um, so she can yes. talk about what she'll say to her favorite friends when she sees them again mm. oh um, nice yeah that's yeah, lovely that's, we've, yeah. we've done that a bit but it is very painful because it i is. think to a certain extent it feels like i Ros, yeah. am not allowing her to see the friends because I'm I'm not very nice (laughs) yeah I think a lot of people are feeling that aren't they I noticed that that sort of I go know it for myself it's sort of well how dare they not let me see my granddaughter you know how how dare Boris Johnson tell me I'm not allowed to see my own family I think those feelings are really like we have to blame someone and that's really normal and it's hard it's hard for a parent to be the one who's blamed I think sometimes just putting that into words can help it seems like it's all my fault we can't go out and I you know it's it makes me annoyed too. I don't like it either. I want yeah, to go with my yeah. friends. I yeah, want to, exactly. I want to go out with my girlfriends and, you know, drink drink wine and <laughs> do all the things that we normally do. Yes. It's frustrating, yeah. isn't it? And I do yeah. talk about it and what it means um, to not have the things that you want. Mm. But I am a very, I'm aware that I have a child who when she's upset and frustrated she doesn't take it out either on herself particularly or on other people okay so it's you know I'm aware as we talk that I have it easy compared to some Mm. people who have children who are unable to deal with things other than by lashing out Mm. or fighting their siblings or hitting the wall or doing mm. things like I don't know what that's like to deal with right. you know and right. I, but I, I hear about other people and yeah. it's, it's frightening especially if you're stuck at home that's really stressful it and is really stressful uh and I don't think 
I think it's always important to remember that the you you know the fact that it is stressful and anybody would find it stressful and again not to be hard on yourself about it if you possibly can. I think when it's being expressed sibling to sibling, you know you obviously have to intervene so that mm. no one child feels frightened or got at by another child and that they too are heard. But you can again say it's never okay to hurt brother. But I do get how angry you feel. I really do get that. We've got to find another way of doing it. But I do recognise that for children with, you know, with more severe disabilities, you're really, really yeah. struggling to understand it. It's very, very hard. Um, yeah. And I think that anything, as again, as the expert on your own child, that you can do to try and make the story simple and clear with a chronology and an order as much as possible. If you use objects for it, you know, or maybe photographs. Oh, so this was the day when you couldn't go to school anymore. And then this happened. And then we were told we couldn't play in the park anymore. Mm. And then we uh, built a den upstairs and had a great time. That was that day. Then we went something where you can get a structure and a narrative to it so the child anything that you can do to help give it some kind of shape within the within the cognitive capacities of the child is always going to be helpful you so. talked a lot about storytelling and mm. brilliant ideas for our listeners how important is game playing and storytelling as a tool for parents in this I would think it's very important because you don't need much equipment. It's quite low tech to do it. Um, as I say, I think one of the challenges of the lockdown is the lack of structure. We're all finding that. We're all finding that days and time slip and we don't know whether it's a weekend or whether it's Monday. Um, routines have changed. So anything that can help a child learn that there is a structure to things, that things do have a beginning and a middle and end can really, really help. And uh, one idea that I that I heard about is that you could um, you could make a jigsaw and each piece of the jigsaw could represent could be something that happened as part of the lockdown story. There might be some pieces missing. It might not all be there. And you build the jigsaw together and every piece is something that happened in the process of the last five weeks, something like that. I'm going to take us back. We've talked a lot about this sort of emotional well-being of parents Mm -hmm. Ros, I'm aware we haven't asked you yet. Uh, how are you doing, and what what have you got access to to sort of support your own well-being in this time? Well, um, I'm very lucky in that as a psychotherapist, I have therapy of my own. That's been incredibly useful. I know it's not something that everybody has, but us therapists, um, it's important <laughs> that we um, ourselves are supported by our own therapists and our own um, clinical supervisors. Um, and they can be a great personal resource at any time, but particularly now where I've got somewhere to take my frustration. So a therapist that I've known for a long time can, is an inc incredibly supportive um, place for me to put my, the stuff that I wouldn't necessarily want to tell my children uh, so I've got a 19-year-old as well as a 13-year-old. Um, the stuff I wouldn't necessarily want them to hear about how scared I am about, about what would happen if I died, for example, you know, or my husband did. Um, and with the children always in the house, it's hard to have those conversations. Mm. So taking a bit of time for myself to have therapy is incredibly supportive. Um, and I'm also 
to a certain extent able to speak to friends although you know having these conversations over Skype and Zoom etc means sometimes that the privacy is a bit difficult so mm. you know it, it can be harder to, you know trying to find a bit of time to talk to friends is really important um, and I'm still I am still able to work my work gives me a great sense of achievement and well-being mm. um, I know that I'm able to help other people a bit and that's really good that makes me feel better and I do a lot of weight training and running <laughs> and that kind of physical stuff because I think it's important to be able to find some kind of physical expression um, but what I haven't been able to do is write. Um, I, I need to do some academic writing and I also need to do some creative writing. I haven't been able to write a word since this whole thing started. I don't know why. I just completely blocked. And that's something interesting to for me to work on more. But maybe when it's all over, I will. But at the moment, I've got the, I've not just got writer's block, I've got writer's constipation on it. (laughs) I think uh, impacted. (laughs) One of the things that I've reflected on uh, in this time, because like you, some of the things I imagined I might do, just being with the time, you know, to be right, to be to, to do writing, to to be creative, and it is actually harder. And and I think, oh, actually, you know, I've got all this time, but actually managing this difficult circumstance with the anxieties and the uncertainty is work in itself. And yeah, yeah. and so that's going to be true for everybody. And it's really made me think about the children that I work with who often are, you know, quite a handful, quite challenging, quite tough on their teachers, tough on their parents. And very often that behavior is because of feelings of anxiety and uncertainty. Yeah, yeah. And they're being expected, um, I mean, perhaps not children with severe learning disabilities, but children, you know, who are, who've got identified special needs and are trying to function in a mainstream classroom and just can't and are being disruptive and, uh, really really struggling it's very often those feelings that we're managed we're dealing with now those kind of feelings they're throwing them off track in the classroom and it's I don't know I think it's helped me think yes I, I really get it that you know how hard it is to take things in when your mind is caught up with a real fear about something you can't quite understand and that's what a school experience is like for a lot of children with special needs so I yeah. guess like you, Rose, I think it's too soon to say, but I'm hoping that the kind of reflective capacity that goes with therapeutic thinking, it's something you learn to do and you cultivate it. And I think it's something to encourage in your children. This is something we can put to positive use as the as the crisis goes on and afterwards. Yeah, I, I just wanted to sort of add there that I don't think that you have to do stuff. You know, mm. I, I don't think you have to sort of turn your balcony into a wonderful Mm -mm. garden Mm -mm. or learn how to do press-ups or develop your your tapestry skills or whatever Mm -hmm. floats your boat creatively there has to be a some kind of an outlet whatever that outlet is Mm. that makes sense for a person I think some of my clients are really finding it frustrating if they're sports people you know Mm. not being because the sport fulfills so many different needs for them that they don't have to think about how am I going to meet my friends Mm. how am I going to feel nice and tired and physically worked out because every week that's what the football club does Mm. so if you're not able to do those things you have to almost break it down and think what do I need and how can I get that in a different way without going Mm. to do lally so I've been 
doing Joe Wicks and all sorts of other things <laughs> I can find on YouTube and I've got a kettlebell and swinging that away and that I need that it's a good way uh, of dealing with some of the angry feelings as well you know uh, you can you can swing that kettlebell and push away all the illness uh, and germs uh, and disease and hope that the world will come back to normal some stage soon and I guess that description of what you do for yourself finding ways to help children do that in whatever way is also helpful and you don't have to be able to say I am pushing away angry feelings when I push this um mm. that this whatever it was you said the dumbbell kettlebell, away, yeah. the <laughs> kettlebell. you just yeah. have the feeling knowing mm. what it is inside mm. that's building up this kind of pressure Mm. you know so I think say with Ashley she doesn't know she doesn't have yes. the words to understand and explain what's going on and in a way the best thing we've done been able to do for her is that mm -hmm. our local short breaks team in the borough where I live because all the short breaks uh, services have gone completely mm. kaput they've given families uh, up to 300 pounds to spend okay. on kit Right. So, you know, for a child that likes to um, jump up and down, you can have a little indoor trampoline, for example. Oh, right. um, yeah. Esha has a new scooter. Her old one was a bit small, so we've got her a, a, an adult-sized one now. Mm -hmm. And that has been incredibly useful for lots of reasons, mm. not just not just because it's something for her to do physically, but also it's something for us to do together as a family and mm. for her to show us that she can develop a new skill. That was really good because we were really proud of how well yeah. she learned to ride it. Yes. And yeah. we, she surprised us all by how she took to it. Thinking about scooting, uh, I mean, I don't know how she scoots, but just the kind of the thwack of the foot on the pavement as yes. you scoot along, what you were saying about discharging yes. a feeling. Yeah, I think it's important yeah. physically. You know, if you yes. don't have the words, then sometimes yeah. you need to do yeah. things. Yeah, it's a lovely and example. Some children yeah. really, you know, they need to jump up and down Absolutely. or they need yeah. to they have sensory needs like that. Some children, they just really need to physically do things. Mm. They don't know why they need it. And we have been going climbing at the weekends and uh -huh. she she has been learning to climb up a climbing wall. Right. And doing really well. And you know, taking all sorts of risks which mm. our children are often not supposed mm -hmm. not allowed to do because they get a bit wrapped up in cotton wool and risk assessed and all the rest of it. She's been climbing up this whopping great high climbing wall. Fantastic. You know. it's, it's fantastic to see her. And she she yeah. needs to be seen to be doing things. Mm. She gets she likes approval. She like one of the things about school that she really likes is getting told well done or mm. you've done that. She, you know. Mm. I think this all does, all the conversation we've had in a way goes back to knowing your, what makes the world mm. go around for your child mm. if, as much as you possibly can and mm. knowing yourself as yes. much as you can. Those two things together yeah. really help. Well, Even if you don't get it right 100% of the time, nobody does. Um, but just helpful to know them and have them know you. Absolutely. And I just would want to really echo what you said about um, – uh, how great it is she's impressed you with her climbing she's yeah. impressed you with her scooting you've all had fun together and this this experience of uh, being enjoyed and being an enjoyable person to be with it's something that some children with with special needs and disabilities they, don't, they sometimes don't feel that you know they're yeah. there they're yeah, the child absolutely. that's making things more difficult and yes. putting stress in the family yes. and however however yes. much you don't want to be that 
the case, it can be the case. So when you can do something, which is a genuine, authentic experience of mutual joy between you and them, this isn't just this is all of us, everybody, absolutely everybody, but it's just sometimes harder to get when a child is bringing very extra needs and challenges, then really make the most of it. And they're just some examples you gave there, Rose, of both of those, the climbing and the skating. It's fun. It's fun. Yeah, it's fun. You can be impressed and uh, you can have a great time together. And these are incredibly empowering experiences that feed into the sort of resilience and self-confidence bank that we all need to fill up with deposits throughout our lives, wherever we are, whoever we are. And it's a really lovely example of that. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's a bit about pick, picking your own battles as well. Mm. In order to get her to enjoy being on the scooter and enjoy doing something new, which is always a bit difficult, we did have to risk her not wanting to do it. Mm -hmm. So sometimes we can go for the tried and tested activities that we know she's going to tolerate, as opposed to doing the thing that can sometimes feel a bit harder, which is mm -hmm. challenging her with something mm -hmm. new. Because uh, she'll often just say no. People think that, oh, you've got to have a diagnosis of autism to be very keen on routine. But there are many, many children who don't have that diagnosis. But nevertheless, routine is super important. Mm. Yes, I think you're right. And uh, again, it's like looking to ourselves and thinking generally out from that that um, routines can be more important at a time of stress and disruption so what yeah. you can build in and the anchors in our the anchor points in our day in our life they're all all over the place at the moment so if we can find new ones and build them and hang on to the ones we have still got they may be even more important at this time than, than at another time as we start to draw to a close i think mm. it's really worth uh, drawing out some of the ways that variety can help with those things mm -hmm. we provide amongst other things grant funding for the sorts of equipment that you're talking about their roles that will enable children to provide that they've got special education needs they've got disability but you know they don't need a diagnosis with us we're based on needs and so actually we look at the child's presenting need working with a healthcare professional to provide outdoor play equipment lots of sensory equipment the sort of things that will enable children to learn to grow and to be not just necessarily developing certain physical attributes but it's about that social environment at home and encouraging parents to be able to interact in just the ways that you've talked about. Roz, just to sort of move us towards a close, you, you touched on it earlier. It's worth, really worth coming back to. What are some of the positives uh, for Isha and for you and the family that this time has really given you? I think generally having more family time to reconnect and get to know each other a bit better and to follow things through um, so that if she doesn't want to do something in the morning, we can try again in the afternoon. That sort of thing has been really useful. And I think that as well, being able to show a bit more of a range of my responses and to get a bit angry sometimes and for her to see that mum does get angry sometimes mm. and that, you know, you know, I've had, have a, I've had a couple of shouty moments. I'm not a very shouty person. Um, and, you know, I think it's been good for me as a parent to, to get things a bit wrong and yell mm. a bit. And for her, she, she normally, because it doesn't happen very often, she, she doesn't like that. But she's getting used to it and she's being able to see, oh, mum, just get over it. Yeah. <laughs> she and, doesn't and like it of... if I yell at her brother. <laughs> 
<laughs> in terms of the rhythm of the day for you. Uh, yeah. You know, as you said, yes, absolutely. Yes. Um, so one thing I learnt was that uh, when you're not having to get up at half past seven, ready for school, we can have, find our natural rhythm a bit more. And Ash's sleep problems have all but disappeared now that she's able to go Gosh. to bed much later and get up mm. much later. I go to bed later and get up a bit later. So she's probably got a rhythm more like mine. Naturally, I'll go to bed about one o'clock and get up about nine o'clock. That's my natural rhythm. And she's a lot more like me and my husband, he's similar. So all of us are being able to live a bit more naturally. Because, of course, if I've got my first client at 10 o'clock, that's still like half an hour to have breakfast. I, I like the fact that you've avoided doing Joe Wicks in this day as well. Oh is, no, we do do we do do Joe Wicks. But yeah, he's yeah. an absolute animal. We've been yeah. following him as well, and uh, yeah, yeah he no, certainly, Joe certainly Wicks. puts you through. Asher doesn't. Asher just turns the nose up, but we like doing it. <laughs> For all the parents who are listening into mm-hmm. this, Tamsin, wondering where they can make a start with developing their sort of child's mm-hmm. emotional resilience or uh, you know they've heard everything we've talked about and they're thinking this all sounds brilliant I want to put some of this into action okay where where can they start well I think it's a mindset which says I won't always try and put things right and I won't always try and cheer my child up those things are noble aims and I think all parents do have a role as a sort of agent of hope for their children that things will get better things can get better I think that is a responsibility that parents have but I also think you don't have to put everything right so if a child is having a bad day or is cross or upset to reflect with them with feeling in your voice what it is you think they're going through is enormously helpful it sounds very simple and it almost seems like nothing but if you think about yourself when you share something with somebody you don't necessarily want them to solve a problem you want them to listen to you you want to feel that they understand you want them to say things like that sounds really rubbish oh, I'm sorry that happened you want that you want the feeling you want to forget it's just the same for children yet so often children are told what to do what to feel what not to feel as though some feelings are acceptable and some aren't so I think that's a starting point. There are some good books out there. Margot Sunderland, um, What Parent Every ne- Every Parent Needs to Know. That's Dorling Kindersley. That's a good starting point for sort of tuning into the emotional life and world of your child. Um, making time to uh, listen to your child. So when, when they start to tell you something that might have happened, uh, however long it takes however around the houses it goes like Ros says sometimes they say one thing and it means something different really practice listening to that and not rushing it along and saying I wonder if I wonder if what you really what you might mean here is actually you you wanted to say this thing or you wanted to go out to the park I wonder if it might be that I wonder if so and so wasn't when they weren't at home it just made you feel very lonely something like that you give them a chance to try options to wander out loud with them Uh, and then lots of games that seem very ordinary say for example hide and seek or um, they are about very profound things sort of uh, look being lost getting found missing somebody being reunited Um, being delighted to see somebody when you find them again we do them naturally we don't think about their meaning but they do have meaning and if you think a child might need to know you really are delighted to find them 
and to see them, then a game of hide and seek is a really good way to communicate that. Say, hey, you're here. I thought you'd gone. I thought I wasn't going to find you again. It's so fantastic to see you. And you can put a lot of feeling into it. Very simple things like that. Tamsin, Roz, thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you, our listeners, for tuning in to this episode of Podability, brought to you by Variety, the children's charity. If you liked what you heard, please share it with your friends. You can find us on iTunes by searching for Variety Podability, where you can rate, review and subscribe to the series. 